0: From the Palmetto Family Podcast Network, you are listening to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. Welcome into this edition of South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax, brought to you by the Palmetto Family Podcast Network. Palmetto Family is coming off a very exciting time where a very successful trip took place to Washington, D.C where many pastors from South Carolina were able to connect with uh, all of the legislative leaders from South Carolina or most of the legislative leaders from South Carolina. Uh, just a smashingly, uh, I, I just—I observed it from social media, a smashingly successful trip. It was very very cool to see out on the Instagram feed. Uh, if, you're, if you're not following Palmetto Family Council on Facebook or Instagram, you need to, uh, to go out there and see connections with the congressman here from South Carolina. I saw my personal congressman. Uh, featured there with Jeff Duncan. It was also just good to see North Carolina University folks who were involved there as well. So uh, go follow Palmetto Family Council on Facebook and Instagram, I think Twitter as well, and you can follow along. Uh, But that's been a really successful thing here. A lot of summer led up to it. And so thank you to all who contributed to that effort. I, I think we can call it an unmitigated success. Amongst many other things, I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets in Greenville, South Carolina at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. If you're in the upstate for any reason, you're looking for a church or you're just passing through, we'd love to have you on any given Sunday morning at 10.30. I'm also the host of the Corey Truack Show, which is on His Radio Talk. His Radio Talk, 92.9 FM. That airs on Saturday mornings at 8.05 in the upstate of South Carolina or anywhere on planet Earth. You can get the podcast of that show. It's called the Corey Truack Show. Glad to have you with us for South Carolina Connections. On this particular program, we take a Christian lens and we look at the decisions and the stories and the newsmakers in the the national news and the state news and even international news and just take a look to see how it affects South Carolina and her families. In that vein, here's what I'd like to do today. I want to take that Christian lens and talk about these stories if we can get to all of them. This Jeffrey Epstein story requires some examination, along with the R. Kelly story and the, the nature of our sexual sickness in the United States of America. I want to go back to a couple weeks ago to go find a deeper meaning in the controversy surrounding the Little Mermaid being cast as a black woman and the Betsy Ross shoes that Colin Kaepernick had a, a bad reaction to. I really don't want to get back into those stories because they've they've been covered by everybody, but there was a deeper meaning that I think got missed. There's also a gigantic democratic civil war happening right now between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her people and then against Nancy Pelosi and her people. There's some things there that need to get discussed through that lens as well. And I th- by the end here, I-, I hope we can get to this, this very possible reality that the 2020 election cycle might actually lead to true system change inside the two-party system. I'd like to try to get to all of that over the next 25-ish minutes together, so let's get started right now. If you haven't heard, Jeffrey Epstein, he is a—I don't actually know how he made his money, and since he's been arrested, it's becoming clear that none of us really know how. It could have been really illicit ways in which Jeffrey Epstein became— A millionaire. It's possible, I think, that you've not heard. that This is a guy who uh, is 66. In his adult life, he seems to have a great deal of physical attraction to young ladies. And by young ladies, I mean children. I actually just did the thing I've been so upset with people about. I've been very upset with the media for saying underage girls or underage women. No, these underage girls are just called children. That's what he had a sexual appetite for. And he has been rightly arrested, and I don't know that any penalty that he's given would be too harsh. It's likely that he's just going to stay in prison until his last natural day on this earth. And there are those trying to make the story a little political because Bill Clinton was connected to Jeffrey Epstein. Donald Trump was connected to Jeffrey Epstein over time. Both of those guys, Clinton and Trump, have their own reputation for being womanizers and not having exactly the highest of sexual ethics, and so because Jeffrey Epstein was connected to them, folks on the right want to connect Clinton to him, folks on the left want to connect Donald Trump to him, those things are not, in my estimation, important. That is not the Christian lens, and that is not how it affects our families. The bottom line truth here is a powerful man, a rich man, For his own enjoyment, took advantage of, and trafficked in children. For his own enjoyment and his own pleasure, trafficked in women. I use that turn of phrase very particularly for this reason. Most of the time when we say someone has been involved in illicit trafficking, it's It's a certain type of noun. It's not a person, it's a place or a thing. Or actually, it's a thing. We say they were a drug trafficker. They were trafficking in illegal weapons. Trafficking in in fill-in-the-blank with a thing. What Jeffrey Epstein was doing was he changed the nature of the noun. He was trafficking in humans for their sexual exploitation. That comes then right on the heels of a story where R. Kelly, the old R&B star, is arrested in Chicago for molesting or having sexual relationships with teenage girls. And some of those cases, I would still call them children. And so we can look at both of them with derision, and I think that's, that is deserved. And we can be appalled at their behavior, and that is deserved. There's more to do there, though. It occurs to me that the chief sin, the offense that they have committed, is that they took human beings, women, and children, who have on them the image of God, the Imago Dei, and he trafficked those human beings. This is how I think this affects our families. Here we are, we look down our noses, and we accurately condemn both of these men as they're being paraded around on the news for their misdeeds. We condemn their behavior and their trafficking of women. But, if the statistics are correct, and we have every reason to believe they are, with the money that's being made in the United States of America on pornography... There's a great deal of men who need to look in the mirror. There's a great deal of men who show up to church on Sundays who need to look in the mirror. There is some large group of men who stand in pulpits on Sunday and need to look in the mirror and recognize that the chiefest sin that Epstein has committed, you were the, you have been a customer for it. You have committed it as well. There is, I guess, some pornography that is just totally uh, consent, consenting adults. Even that's a hard thing to to fathom. No young lady grows up thinking, "Hey, maybe I want to be a porn star." Somewhere along the way, there was some serious manipulation. There was violation. This this kind of stuff really does affect me for our families. Here we are, judging, again, accurately, R. Kelly and Jeffrey Epstein, but women who are taken advantage of are on our TV screens and on our computer screens and on our tablets and our phones with appalling regularity. It's a a sin that is hidden, but very common. And so, before... We just wag our fingers and shake our heads at Jeffrey Epstein and at R. Kelly. I do want to give to at least this listenership, and I would ask you if, if the Lord has been good to keep you away like he has kept me away from trafficking in humans, because that's what pornography is. It's trafficking in humans. You are now using a human for your own pleasure. Let's be people who are looking to reconcile that problem on this earth. That's what I thought of when I thought of Jeffrey Epstein and R. Kelly is that microcosms of that violation are happening all over the country right now on someone's iPhone. We got to deal with that first. I'm going to get to something a little less serious, but I wanted to start there today. Let me remind you that you are listening to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax from the Palmetto Family Podcast Network. Let me encourage you to go over to palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org. You can find over there Eric Corcoran's podcast called Faith Conversations. There are a lot of fun conversations over there with Eric Corcoran talking to the leaders in South Carolina about their journey in faith, and you can hear those conversations at palmettofamily.org. You can find that Faith Conversations podcast wherever you are listening to this one. Next, I want to revisit a couple weeks ago where there was two controversies surrounding, I guess, primarily race, and I want to get to a deeper meaning. There was first a decision made by the folks at Disney that they were going to make a live-action Little Mermaid movie because that's the thing they're doing now. It was live-action Jungle Book, live-action Lion King, live-action Aladdin, uh, actually, with live-action Lion King, I guess that's not really the case. Uh, I guess better computer computer animation, or so it's not drawn like a cartoon. Uh, because, believe it or not, in this Lion King movie, they actually didn't find talking lions who are talented at acting. That's a weird thing to call that, live-action. I'm being distracted now by my own thoughts. I need to get back to the point. So Disney right now is doing live-action movies of their old classic cartoons. Ariel... The Little Mermaid, who was drawn in the cartoon as a white girl with red hair, has been cast. The the person cast to play her in the live action is a black girl who I think is going to wear red hair in the movie. That girl, by the way, I can't remember her name right now. She Can Sing, and I saw some, I think it was on YouTube, some videos of her. She's incredible. I, I actually didn't see anybody criticizing the decision. I have some wise people in my life who said they did, that they saw people on the right, in conservative circles, expressing some disappointment at that decision. I didn't see much of it. I don't think it was a big controversy, but the bigger part of the controversy is that whatever small group of people cared that Ariel was going to be cast as a black girl, they were accosted online. So the real controversy, the, the louder voices were the people online saying, I can't believe anyone would ever be upset at this. It's such a racist thing. So there was that controversy, and that came around the same time that Colin Kaepernick really showed his, his true intentions. You know, he, his original protest, he said he was protesting police brutality, not the flag, and he was using the flag to pro- protest police brutality. And then Nike says they're going to come out with a Betsy Ross flag shoe. And he says, no, I don't like that flag. So it's with Colin Kaepernick, it particularly is he doesn't like the country that he lives in. And if I were that miserable, I mean, I hate hate the idea of, well, you don't like it here, move out. That's just, it's such a dumb, simple-minded thing to say. But with Colin Kaepernick, he does seem like miserable here. He seems like he really hates it. I would wonder with all your money. Why wouldn't you find somewhere else to live? Just get on out. You seem to hate it. Not because you don't deserve to live here, because you don't like it. If you don't like it, leave it. Again, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying Colin Kaepernick has all the money in the world and the ability to leave. Seems like he would want to, but in any event, those two controversies came right around one another. People saying they were upset that people, uh, you're getting a backlash to the backlash about Ariel, and you're getting the Colin Kaepernick controversy. Now, what I'm about to say, I don't think it's going to be totally popular, but that's not why I do radio and podcasting. I think most of these controversies are things we all need to start ignoring because they don't mean anything. Or at least they shouldn't. We shouldn't let the culture around us dominate our thought processes and dominate what we talk about and dominate our conversations. When the culture says, talk about Ariel and talk about her being a black character and how some people are upset about it. I think we need to sometimes be the people that say, no, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to allow myself to be dragged into this kind of fake controversy. There's too many other things that matter. There, there is the Jeffrey Epstein story and the, the broader problem we have with, with sex trafficking. Uh, for example, even the debt still matters. I'm still going to worry about my pro-life issues. Like We've got all kinds of cultural stuff. The thing that is not going to get my attention today, I am not going to give the attention that I have, the, the very limited minutes I have in my day, I am not going to give my energy or my outrage to a controversy about a cartoon. I'm not going to do it. And don't let anyone bait you into it. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick. This guy just wants attention. He doesn't know anything. He's a know nothing. He 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 wants your attention. He really wants he begs for it and just refuse. I'm not giving that my attention. There are too many other things that matter more. I refuse to give it my attention. And to tra- we need to train ourselves, train ourselves towards that end. That these are fake controversies. They go away. Even to the extent that I'm here, I here I am knowing that this the show is gonna air like uh ten, eleven, twelve days after those controversies happened, knowing that the people who listen, a lot of you will have forgotten it ever happened. Because it was always so transient. It was always so meaningless. But in the moment we feel like we got we have to react to it. We have to have an opinion. I've gotten to a place where I'm really comfortable saying, you know, that just doesn't matter. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend any time on that. It doesn't matter at all. Let me remind you again, you're listening to South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax from the Palmetto Family Podcast Network. Here's a story that might actually matter, something that could affect us long term. There seems to be a brewing, let's go with conflict, an internal conflict, an intra varsity, an intramural conflict inside the Democratic Party. That is being led by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on one side, the congresswoman from Brooklyn who's not that bright, and then the more seasoned but equally far-left progressive Nancy Pelosi. And the conflict seems to be that the folks on the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez side want to see more progressive, more aggressive left-wing policy put forward, and then you have folks on the uh, they're not moderate, there are left-wing people like Nancy Pelosi, who just knows that her majority, the fact that she gets to be speaker, is made up of the fact that there were moderate Democrats who won races in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, Florida, Virginia, uh, there's a couple I'm thinking of in California, even those were more moderate Democrats. Folks like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she won a primary she won a primary in a majority-minority district in the Bronx against a white guy, an older white guy who had had the seat. And she won, like, 15,000 votes, like a low voter turnout. Uh, I mean, we're talking about congressional, congressional districts often have a million people in them. And she got 15,000 votes. She didn't need any more than that because she's in such a blue district. And so... She has no reason to be moderate. She has no reason to be strategic. She can do whatever she wants. And Nancy Pelosi resents those types of voices because they cause strife inside the party. And so they've been taking some shots at each other, especially on Twitter. And I'll give you an example. There is uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's chief of staff. He tweeted something... Uh, about a woman named uh, Sharice Davids. She is a moderate member. I mean, I I still think she's left left wing, but she's not as left wing as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is the only elected Democrat from Kansas. Kansas is a very, very red state, but there was a Democrat elected to one congressional seat there. And she has been voting with Republicans on a lot of migrant border stuff so for example it is actually republicans in the house that are trying to would love to have votes to fund the border patrol and to and to fund uh, the folks down at the border that are trying to house these migrants and asylum seekers well one of the reasons there's a migrant crisis is because democrats refuse to fund what is needed at the border to take care of those people and they they do that because not just to be humane, they're, they're trying to force another option. They're trying to force the government just to let everybody in. And so here is Sharice Davids, or Representative Sharice Davids, who is voting in a way that's not, uh, that's not as left-wing as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has a chief of staff who tweeted this. I don't think people have to. I'm quoting now. I don't think people have to be personally racist to enable a racist system. And the same could even be said of Southern Democrats. I don't believe Sharice is a racist person, but her votes are showing are showing she will enable a racist system. Oh boy! Uh, so one thing, it's not a racist system. Let me. You know how I know? If if a white person was trying to come across the border and was picked up by Immigration and Customs Patrol, and they have no documentation. They're also going to go to one of those centers. Centers. Customs and Border Patrol doesn't pick up a white person in the desert of Arizona and be like, oh, no, you're good. You just go on. You can just live here. Whatever. It's not a racist system. It happens to be the case that the folks coming from Guatemala and El Salvador and Mexico... Are Hispanic or Latino? I don't even remember which term I'm supposed to use, but that is totally incidental. If it were, if the if the map were switched and it was Canadians who look like us were trying to come in illegally, there would still be there still need to be a process and, and there would need to be enforcement of the border. It doesn't matter that they happen to be Hispanic or Latino people. And so here was Sakit Chakrabarti. He is the chief of staff of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who says, here's a Democrat, and there were some other Democrats that voted with Republicans. They're not racist personally, but they are voting to uphold a racist system. And then this is where the Twitter war got fun. The House Democrats' Twitter feed. So this is, I'm sure whoever runs it is appointed by Nancy Pelosi. So we're talking about the House Democratic Caucus. The leadership, their Twitter account, responds to Chakrabarty and says, "Who is this guy, and why is he explicitly singing, singling out a Native American woman of color?" Oh boy, um, th- this is a—they're eating themselves alive here because of their their stance on this intersectionality garbage, where. They weren't even arguing his point. It was just, how dare you call out someone of Native American descent? They continued in the tweet saying this, her name is Congresswoman Davids, not Sharice. She's a phenomenal new member who flipped a red seat to blue. And then it has some emojis around this and it says, keep her name out of your mouth. This is very aggressive tweeting at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's person. Uh, So, Remember, he called her, uh, I don't think Sharice is racist, and so they want her called Congressman Davids, and how dare you. This is this is the intranacing war that they're having. Because even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, when she was being interviewed recently, she talked about Nancy Pelosi specifically. She said that Nancy Pelosi was singling out these new women of color that came into the Congress. And so that is a Backdoor way, a backhanded way of calling Nancy Pelosi racist. And so this is something that I've, ha- I've seen happen to folks on the right so much. It almost seems, I mean, there's some irony, but it's almost some kind of fairness here that now they're doing it to each other. Democratic identity politics has become such a part of their makeup. It's part of their DNA that they're now having this, as I said, intranetizing uh, fight in war. And now they're just really just tossing out who's more woke, who's who's going to be more uh, anti-racist than they are. Um, and I don't think any of them are racist, by the way, but that's the that's the only... This is one of the problems with the American left, and I I wish this were not the case. And there's a bunch of problems on the American right that are similar. I, I actually would love to have a healthy Republican Party and healthy Democratic Party, and I'd love to see some other healthy parties. Right now, there are no healthy parties. The The political system is full of unhealthy people and unhealthy systems. But it's become a thing in left-wing politics that your immediate cudgel, your knee-jerk reaction to someone disagreeing with you is to call them some sort of bigot. If someone's not on your side, they're a religious bigot, they're racist, they are homophobic, they are uh, sexist. They just toss it out there. And so when the left gets in fights with themselves... All they know to do is go to their knee-jerk reaction. They go to their immediate cudgel. Racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, and they don't know anything deeper. When you've allowed your discourse with the other side to become so lazy that you only just call names, well then when you have a fight internally, all you know is your knee-jerk reactions. And this happens on the right as well. The same knee-jerk reactions will happen inside that party inside that party too it just seems to be happening here right now and put on display and it's causing some trouble in their own party now here's another reason why i think this matters why it affects our families the two-party system i think we can declare a failure no matter who runs congress or the white house we continue to run up debt No matter who runs Congress or White House, we tend to be in wars often that we should not be in. We really have not had a functional Congress, I would say, in 25 years. Congress, which is supposed to be the most significant branch of government, continues to export its power to the executive branch, and then the legislative branch even even only gets stronger under Republicans and Democrats. George W. Bush, from 2001 to 2008, or 2009, continued to gather more power into the executive branch and folks on some folks on the left said to folks on the right you don't want you don't want that because one of these days a democrat's going to be in charge and they're going to have all that power that George W Bush gave the executive branch but the right didn't listen and George W gathered a lot of power to the executive branch and Barack Obama came in and he doubled down on it and then folks on the right said, you don't want to do that. You don't want to use all those executive orders. You don't want these executive actions. You don't want to gather all this power into the executive branch and outside of Congress because eventually a Republican's going to take over, and you're going to wish you didn't give the executive branch all that power. Like we, it's, it's hardly inarguable the two-party system has been a problem. It's not been functional as a government. And so now I see this democratic civil war. In the conflict they're having internally. I see, concurrently, Justin Amash, the former congressman, Republican congressman, announced that he's leaving the Republican Party, and there's some chance that he might seek out the libertarian nomination for president. And it feels like we might finally be getting close to a spot where we do the logical thing. We stop having two parties and we start offering the American people more options. You know, it's, it's one of these interesting things that the rest of the world does in parliaments where you've got to build coalitions. Like that's, the Republican Party has, we call it one party, but it has a ton of coalitions. It has the religious right. It has military-type people, veterans. It has economic uh, business interests, so big business interests tend to be Republican. It's going to have uh, budget walks people who want to see the 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 debt that debt and de- 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 deficit come down and those debt and deficit people not might not really care about the who the judges are that go on the bench the, that tends to be the religious right types and the military people might not really care about what's happening with the budget, but they really want to make sure that veterans are being taken care of and that the military stays strong and so you have all of these Coalitions, these small groups, or even like the Second Amendment people, or something, and then they try to make up one big party. The same thing happens over with the Democrats. There's the environmental coalition, and there's the racial justice coalition, and then you got the LGBTQIA uh, uh, group, and you got the Bernie Sanders types who are all about socialism and government programs, and you try to put all those coalitions into one big party. The healthier thing is if if we had at least four, I would love to see, out of this Democratic conflict, whichever side loses the nomination. So if the moderates lose the nomination, they still run Joe Biden anyway as an independent. And if it's Elizabeth Warren or if it's another left-winger like um, Kamala Harris, that if they lose the nomination, I hope one of them runs, and if Joe Biden's the Democratic nominee. And equally, while President Trump is running his campaign, that Justin Amash is out there running for people like me that I'd have an option to vote for a a real conservative candidate. This would be healthier if we would break up into the coalitions and stop trying to force everybody into these two parties. And it's something to keep an eye on for. And I don't know, it's a possibility. Uh, And I I don't want to give up hope for it. All right, we've run run all out of time. That went by quickly here on South Carolina Connections with Corey Truax. Let me point you again one more time over to palmettofamily.org, palmettofamily.org, where you can find Eric Corcoran's show, you can find Josh, Josh Putnam's show. Uh, But also follow Palmetto Family on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all those places. And if you would be so kind, find my show, The Corey Truax Show, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Share it with others and find me on social media. Look for me, Corey Truax. Anywhere on social media, you will find me there. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.